0: and this is cemetery row
1: Woohoo.
0: Woo. We're late. This it's on me you all. I've had Mercury
2: uh, Retrograde came for us pretty hard. Well, it
0: definitely was fucking with me because you know, I we all know I'm a type 1 diabetic and I'm you know, cuz insurance in America sucks. I'm having to wait to get my insulin pump supplies um, sent. So I'm having to use some really old school ones and they keep getting messed up and you don't know they're messed up until your sugar goes through the roof. So we've had to reschedule, I mean, essentially twice because Lori's sugar was through the roof.
3: Yeah. Um, And and that's, that's no good.
0: We don't like that. So I think I've got it figured out how to use, how to put the new set on to where it doesn't, uh, cause the insulin not to go under the skin like it's supposed to. But yeah, anyway, TMI. Uh never. Yes. Well, yes. And also celebrating Mother's Day. Yes. That that's yes. but also, yeah. So this was crazy. Um I uh no, yeah. So it was Mother's Day. And Adam made these fantastic looking fried pickles and I couldn't eat them because my blood sugar was through the roof. Um, but I did get to eat one later that was cold and it was still fantastic. So I made him <laughs> make them last night and they made me so sick. Oh, oh no, no I, I was in so much pain. I don't know what was going on with my stomach, but like so I didn't eat dinner last. Do you night have your there. gallbladder? N- no, I do. I do. I don't okay. know what it was. It was just like sitting in the top of my stomach. Oh. and I just oh uh, was-
2: well, since you had the. Yeah, greasy foods can do that yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah,
2: tell adam to share with us his fried pickle recipe oh my god
0: it was so good but i'm gonna i'm gonna have to make them air fried now because that the grease yeah
2: the
3: grease will get you
2: especially when you're in your at the very beginning, it mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, it'll tear you up.
3: Yeah, but man, Fried Pickle sure are
2: good. No,
0: Thank he you. and then I
2: moved you. in the middle of everything yes. too. So yeah, <laughs> like
0: so we we were on crazy. time. We were early <laughs> last episode, and this episode it was like, yeah, Lori just and and so since we're doing uh we haven't said it yet, and I don't think we announced it, but this is just kind of a free-for-all, whatever we want to talk yep. about. And I'm getting really personal this week and you know crazy blood sugar side part of me was not quite ready to to put everything in writing so you know that's the that's probably been at the back of my mind too but yeah. I've, I've got got everything done and I'm ready to share this story yeah.
2: this will more, be a very special episode
0: yes more power to
3: Lori because yeah I'm not there about doing <laughs> episode an an episode on our loved ones like someone that we've lost that we loved and where they're buried and share some memories of them and like yeah we just hit the 3rd year anniversary of my dad's passing um i think 6 years since my a uh, dance teacher who is like another mom to me mm-hmm. since she passed. Like it has just been anniversary after anniversary. And I'm like, I can't yeah. do it. No, it's, it's, it. and it's honestly,
0: it's been tw- so. My story is 23 years old. So, you know, this is something that s- six and even three that is super, super current, at least yeah. to yeah. me. Um, so I mean, and so- it's
2: been a year with my brother. Yeah. And then even though it's been 12 years since my grandmother. It's- It's still like yesterday. Your grandmother feels
3: much sooner. Yeah.
0: With you being a part, it being something that you were. Yeah, I was involved in it. There's a lot of trauma there that. um, Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I
2: mean, because to like, just briefly me, my mom and my grandma were in a rollover accident. My grandma was thrown from the vehicle. Me and mom were pinned. Grandma, unfortunately, died at the scene. My mom ended up in the ICU because she cracked her sternum and, like, Mm. wasn't breathing. And my brother and his family still lived in Arkansas. My dad was in Japan. Yeah. (laughs) So I was, like, by myself with my mom in the ICU and my grandmother dead. Nobody within, you know, driving distance. My brother and his family got in the car as soon as they could, but that was a seven-hour drive. Longer than that. Longer than that. Yeah. It was probably ten closer. So it was it was crazy, and so I'm still trying to unpack all of that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's not something that I think you ever, you know. No, you never get over that. You don't get over that. No.
2: Yeah. I mean, her picture was the first thing I hung up Mm -hmm. in the new place. Yeah. Like that is, you know,
3: that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's difficult. Um, and you know, it's funny too because. Y'all have had big stuff happening this month. Um, in in sort of good news, but it's been a little weird news. Um, I got a cemetery plot for my birthday. Happy 40th <laughs> I birthday. Yes, she I was. love it. I wasn't sure if that's
2: real a at first. Re- And like maybe me, me, I was like, that's a really cost-effective gift
3: because <laughs> those
2: things can be expensive.
3: They can be. Um, yeah, so my friend Savannah um worked with my beloved Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis and and bought me a plot and I'd get to choose which one I want basically. Um And I've already started that process of looking at areas and picking out like, oh, I like that section. I like that section or I don't like that section, whatever. And it's just a little weird. Like I've always said, I wanted to be buried there, but now it's like, whoa, this is a little, you know, it's <laughs> a little close. closer to death than yeah. you're kind of ready for. It and it's like, But at the same time, I feel such a sense of relief. Like, oh, at least that's right. You'll know what. Yeah, because I mean, if I drop dead before I figure out the exact place, the cemetery at least has a good idea. So, Right. Because like I've told the kids because, you know, my nibblings
2: are going to be the ones handling my, you know, final adjudication and they know I want to be cremated. They know I don't want a service or anything like that. And um, I have jokingly told them that I want to be put in fireworks. Oh, I do. Too. But, uh, um, I'm also they'll have to be, be. They'll have to be sneaky about it because I'm pretty sure it breaks many, many laws to do that. No fireworks, <laughs> people. I can make I know. this happen. I'm like, I will like make sure this is handled before. Yeah. So that
3: all they have to do is make some phone calls. Listen, I have. I literally have a fireworks guy. Okay, we dial. will talk about Don't, this. All yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> If you thank are you, a member of the
2: FDA <laughs> or any sort of governing body, you
3: did not hear that. You want to talk about knowing people. Thank God for Graceland. That's how you know fireworks. Hell people. yeah. Um, anyway. So yeah, we've, we've had an interesting couple of weeks it has been, <laughs> yes. and, and it's been, I think, too, an emotional couple of weeks, you know, Lori doing this research and yeah. and dealing with health stuff and Hannah moving and me with all oh, my yeah. anniversaries, but yet birthdays. And it's been, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. It's been hectic. Um, Mercury but, came for us. Oh God. I'm glad it's gone. Mm-hmm. Oof. Don't come for me, Mercury. Um, <laughs> Before we jump into stories, of course, I have to do my shameless (laughs) self-promotion. My next true crime tour is coming up May 27th. That is Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, May 27th, 2023 at Elmwood Cemetery. You can take my true crime tour and I will tell you about a murder that took place in Elmwood Cemetery. And right. I'll tell you about, yeah. And I'll tell you about Memphis's meanest woman, which, okay, you already know if you've listened Ooh. to the podcast. And, um, at least two other black widows. I don't know. Just come hear the stories. Jeez. And then if you want to take a ghost tour with me, I'm your regular Monday night ghost tour guide for downtown Memphis um, for Backbeat Tours. So if you want to book a ghost tour with me, choose a Monday night because I will likely be your guide. Um, you can get your tickets at the Backbeat Tours website. And then for the next two weeks, the 23rd and the 30th of May, um, I will be your Tuesday night guide as well. I'm doing Mondays and Tuesdays for the next two weeks. So, Ooh. but other than that, if you just do Mondays, you'll probably get me. Um. Anyway, so come see me. That's all. Um. Anyway, this week is a grab bag. It's going to get yep. heavy toward the end. Mm-hmm. Um. We are going <laughs> to let uh Luhu, um, emotionally devastate us. But I don't know what Hannah has planned. But Hannah it's... has something planned for us. So kick us off. Yeah. So I take my grab
2: bags seriously. And so we have, we have, these are just not long enough for their own, you know, episodes. So we're just going to have them all together. Cool. All right. First one is one of my favorite things ever. And I want to see them in person at some point. And that is the hanging coffins of Sagada.
1: Yes.
2: So these are in Sagata in the Philippines. Um, I first found out about them from one of my favorites, and I've mentioned it before, Destination Truth. Um mm-hmm. where they went and like mountain climbed amongst these coffins and did like EVPs and shit, and it's fucking hilarious and i love it um so a lot of my information is coming from atlas obscura which is a great website that you should definitely mm-hmm. check out because it's one of my favorite things
1: Fantastic.
2: um so here's kind of how this ritual goes the elderly carve out their own coffins out of hollowed logs which good for them yeah. um if they're too weak or ill their families prepare the coffins instead uh, the dead are placed inside the coffins, sometimes breaking their bones in order to fit them in.
3: Ow. <laughs> well, they're,
2: they're dead. dead. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the coffins are brought to a cave for burial. And instead of being placed in the ground, the coffins are hung either inside the cave or on the face of the cliffs. So that means I've seen the ones that are on the face of the cliff. Yeah. That means there's a whole fucking cave filled with like dangling coffins. And Gear I am, it. I need to see it. Yeah. And they are uh, near the coffins of their other ancestors. So you've already got hanging ones up there. They just pluck them back on there. (laughs) Um, They've been doing this burial for more than 2000 years. Um, This is an extremely long tradition. And some of the coffins are well over a century old. Um, So pre-coffin, they're just hanging them up. Uh, eventually the coffins will deteriorate and fall from their position. So it's like a circle of life thing, which is pretty fucking awesome. Um, The reason they began this tradition was the belief that the higher the dead were placed, the greater the chances of their spirits reaching a higher nature in the afterlife. So the higher the hair, the closer to Jesus, the higher the coffin, the closer to the afterlife.
3: Well, that makes sense.
2: Um, Many of the locations, of the coffins are difficult to reach and should be, um, but can be appreciated from afar. So absolutely. If you're in the Philippines, check that out, um, check out that episode of destination truth. Cause it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pictures of it are just amazing. Yeah, they are. So we are going to stay in sort of the, the Asian region. And we're going to talk about Lucky Restaurant in India, okay. which is built on top of a burial ground. Of course, of course, it, course is. it is. <laughs> <laughs> so Lucky Restaurant in, forgive me, my Southeast Asian friends, a name I cannot pronounce, at Ahmedabad. Correct oh, me.
1: good.
2: We're going to go with it you mm-hmm. can please let me know the correct pronunciation we should have called rima rima <laughs> yes. how you pronounce this, um is known for its popular menu spacious seating and exposed gravestones and burial sarcophagi the tables are set up around
3: oh my god when do i go <laughs> we never <laughs> place, so bad but i have to go
2: when lucky owner Krishnan Kuti was faced with the fact that the land he was about to open his new restaurant on was, in fact, a cemetery, he decided to capitalize on his dilemma. No poltergeist for him. He was not doing any you move the gray stones, not the body. He's like adjust, adapt, overcome. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of paving them over or disinterring them, Kuti built his restaurant around them, making the burial plots the main attraction. Steel bars have been erected around the graves, so no one will mess with them. But other than that small protection, the dead are your dinner companions.
0: That's how you don't get haunted. Exactly. That is how you don't get
2: haunted. Good for you, Krishnan Kuti. Yes. No one is even sure who the graves belong to, but the prevailing theory is that they belong to Muslim followers of a 16th century Sufi saint. Hmm. Huh. The displayed graves in the restaurant are not meant to be disrespectful or overtly morbid either. In fact, Cootsie claims that eating in the presence of the dead is good luck. Um, or at least it has been for him as his business has flourished. This oh, wow. is like, I mean, this is like in Mexican culture for Day of the Dead, where you would, you know, you yes. bring food and picnic offerings to your loved ones. And during the Victorian era, when they picnicked in cemeteries, I mean, yeah. so eating around the dead is not as weird as, you know, we would I've like to it think it is. Times.
3: I've gotten and, delivery door right? to well, the cemetery.
2: And you'll love so. this. Each morning, the graves are cleaned and fresh flowers are placed near them out of respect.
3: Yes, that's so sweet.
2: And um, the coffins are actually green stone. So they're painted. I don't think they're like a naturally green stone. It does look Mm -hmm. like they are like painted or maybe they were dyed concrete or something like that. Um, Are scattered around the restaurant in a seemingly random pattern and customers navigate their way to their tables among the dead. The Lucky's name might seem ironic, considering how many dead people are buried there. But if their business is any indicator, the name fits perfectly.
3: I love it. That's such oh, a that's wonderful, wonderful and it is really remember
0: people.
2: Oh yeah, and it's actually a really pretty restaurant. Um, and the gravestones—they're small, but the the shade of green that they are—it's really pretty. I would straight up eat next to gravestones. I don't have any problem yeah, with it.
3: I don't like. I said I've. When I'm out there cleaning stones and I get hungry, yes, I have ordered Uber Eats and all that out there, um, you know, because you're hungry and you have to. Um, but yeah, I think that's just a lovely way to remember people because that's something I've said plenty of times: is you just, you know, you don't want to be forgotten, you know. Right. And so that's why. You and know, he was like, "I'm going to make sure wanna... I'm like on the tour path," you know. Right. <laughs> he didn't want
2: to like disturb them or di- So it's just like adapt and overcome, my friend. Yeah. And because it's not the gremlin unless we get into some nitty-gritty. Oh yeah. We have the Oisney Asin, I don't know how to pronounce that, American Cemetery Plot E at the Ois American Cemetery Memorial in Northern France. Oh, so yeah. this cemetery is where a lot of the people who died in Normandy Mm-hmm. were buried um and so remember back in the day you if you lost your loved one in war their body did not come back
1: right um
2: so and i remember the last time we were at elmwood Sheeta, you know, there's a lot of people who were like he's you know here's a stone he's actually in france but yeah you a know, lot of here.
3: cenotaphs are in elmwood. right for that reason a lot of them are right. from the war so,
2: it's really with, like, Vietnam and Korea and stuff that we actually got the remains of our soldiers back on their home soil. Um, so, you know, they were buried there in wherever, you know, whatever country they unfortunately passed away in. But this is about plot E. And in plot E is actually not from Normandy. Plot E is from World War I. And contains... Uh, about, well, this the cemetery itself contains about 6,000 service personnel. Plot E is about 100 meters away from the main cemetery and is a separate hidden section, which contains the remains of 94 American military prisoners. Now, these are not prisoners of war. These are military members who were executed by hanging or firing squad oh for crimes committed During or shortly after World War II, their victims were 26 fellow American soldiers, 71 British, French, German, Italian, Polish, and Algerian civilians, both male and female, who were raped or murdered. These were not nice people. Right. In total, the US Army executed 98 servicemen following general courts martial for murder or rape in the European theater of operations during World War II. The remains of these servicemen were originally buried near the site of their executions, which took place in countries as far apart as England, France, Belgium, all over. And in 1949, they were reinterred in Plot E, a private section specifically built to hold what the Gray's registration refers to as the Dishonored Dead. Wow. Per standard practice, they had all been dishonorably discharged from the U.S. Army the day before their executions. Access is difficult, and visitors are not encouraged. Though the section is maintained by cemetery caretakers, which who periodically mow the lawn, trim the hedges, one cemetery employee described Plot E as a house of shame and a perfect anti-memorial.
3: Wow. Yikes.
2: Like we talk about how like you know gravestones are meant to, like you know memorialize us and this is like we are going to actively forget your ass
3: right yeah <laughs> well you i were, mean if they were terrible people yeah i mean so long as they really did what they
2: right and i will say
3: in like you know
2: in the fog of war, you tend to get some leeway in the shit that you do, right? Right. But if you're raping and murdering, at, at no point in the normal engagement of war should you be raping anybody. No. <laughs> like, that is a no. definite no-no. Um, You know, and if you're murdering and raping your way through Europe, okay, maybe you get shot. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, No U.S. flag is permitted to fly over the section. And the numbered graves lie with their backs turned to the main cemetery on the other side of the road even Jeez. in death <laughs> they cannot look at their other like service members
3: dang that's cold <laughs> yeah they were not here for it.
2: fucking plain. No they were not. The only individual buried in plot E who had not been convicted of rape or murder was Eddie Slovic, formerly row 3 grave 65, who was executed for desertion on the 31st of January 1945. His wife, Antoinette Slovak, petitioned the army for her husband's remains and his pension until her death in 1979. Slovak's case was taken up in 1981 by Macomb County, Michigan Commissioner Bernard V. Kalka, a Polish-American World War II veteran who continued to press the army for the return of Slovak's remains. In 1987, President Ronald Reagan granted the petition. He did one good thing. Um, in response, Calca raised $5,000 to pay for the exhumation and reinterment at Detroit's Woodmere Cemetery, where he was buried next to his wife. Hmm. Um, so, you know, desertion, I don't think gets you as much as, you know, a rapist and murderer. Right. Uh, and Emmett Till's father, Louis Till, is among the interred
3: convicts. But he didn't, he was innocent, wasn't he? i don't know <laughs> but like i've heard he that story is there. i've heard that it was i think it
2: i think that there is some that he might have been you know not hang on we're gonna do a real quick because i don't want to say something wrong especially about this
0: i want to I... say that we've talked about this at some point right this came up in one episode i can't In the early stages, we were talking. I can't remember,
3: but I know I've heard about.
2: Okay, so after enlisting in the United States Army, following trial for domestic violence against Mamie, Um, so this was back in the day where you could go to jail or you can go into the military, right? Um, he chose to go to the military. He was court-martialed on two counts of rape and one count of murder in Italy. He was found guilty and executed by hanging at Pisa. He was, the circumstances of Lewis Till's death remained unknown to his family until they were revealed after a highly controversial acquittal. Um, and it says Till's guilt would be called into question many years later via an analysis by John Edgar Weidman. So I might have to cover Lewis Till someday. So mm-hmm. that well, is. Um,
3: it seems like I remember hearing it in the terms of like, People were saying that Emmett was guilty because, well, look at what his daddy did. Right. You know, and I was like, not fair. For one, whether or not he did it, not fair. But two, like, I always... I don't remember reading something at some point that made me think he was innocent, but that because he was a black guy and like in the vicinity of where this happened. Right, exactly. But I that, could be wrong. Maybe he did. I truly do not know.
2: Right. So in 2016, notable African American novelist and essayist John Edgar Wideman explored the circumstances leading to and including the military conviction of Lewis Tell. Um, he examines the trial record and compares it to the trial of Emmett, Emmett's killers, calling it a farce and expresses the belief that, the leak of Mr. Till's military records. Okay, so demonize him at Till by saying his daddy was a rapist.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: Whiteman expresses the viewpoint that Lewis Till may have been punished for the crime of being black rather than committing any real crimes, citing the disproportionate punishment of African American soldiers for rape as well as laws in the United States that defined all sexual encounters between African American men and white women's rape. He might have had a consensual encounter with a white woman. Yeah. And under yeah. military law at the time, that would have been considered rape. Right. Wideman's analysis of Tyr- Till's murder trial alleged one of its witnesses insisted the killer was a white person before recanting their statement. And in Till's rape trial, both victims said they were assaulted in darkness and could not identify their attackers, declining to label Till or his co defendant as suspects. Wideman believed their execution, due to these inconsistencies, was racially motivated. Ollie Gordon, one of Emmett Till's cousins, was recorded visiting Louis Till's grave in France for the final episode of the ABC documentary, Let the World See, referencing Weidemann's analysis of Till's murder and rape trials. She said he's laying in less than an honorable area for a crime that we're still not sure he committed. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if the other guy got reinterred for desertion, I think. There's a very good argument that he should also be reinterred back home
3: well i i I don't think I remember the part about the domestic violence charge yeah um that is concerning mm-hmm. i don't I don't give a lot of doubt or or whatever to people domestic abusers right but i I don't I also don't know the circumstances of that either Um, as we know a lot of black men in this country have been um
2: falsely yeah yeah. and looking at like the because they do have the race of the um, people who were who are interred at this plot e and Mm -hmm. a lot of them are black men
3: right um so
2: you know and I mean, this I'm was not- back before the you know army was desegregated. So
3: yeah, and 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 there's there there could very well have been plenty of people who were doing bad and deserved to be there. I'm just saying, right? You know. Exactly.
2: No, absolutely. You so know, you know what? I'm I wasn't there. <laughs> I was not there. Same, but um, they definitely uh, weren't fucking around when it yeah, this not. part of the cemetery, and anyone who did do what they alleged deserves to be there
3: yes yeah. i I'm mean concerned. if you're guilty you bye. know
2: bye so ending on that wonderfully heartwarming <laughs> note
0: <laughs> you should have started with that one and i know the, the lucky restaurant.
3: but that just wouldn't be my style no, that's it? true that wouldn't be full hannah <laughs> Well, good job, Hannah. Those were, those were cool. Those were good grab bags. I Yeah. Hey, I take my grab bag seriously. Heck yeah. Um, well, my grab bag is very much a, a, a grabby thing because <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, <laughs> what are we talking about now? I don't know. Um, so, let me just start this story by saying I know nothing about wrestling. I don't really <laughs> want to know a whole lot about wrestling. Um, having immersed, we will myself, be coming back to wrestling. It we at some will be point, coming though. back to wrestlers at some point. <laughs> having sort of immersed myself in watching a bunch of documentaries and reading a bunch of stuff on it, it has been entertaining. So I give it that, um, you know. But I'm probably going to sound really ignorant on the topic of wrestling in this story. I apologize in advance, but I'm mostly trying to get at the heart of this guy. And thank you to my mother for finding this guy on an episode of Mysteries of the Abandoned. Ooh. You want to talk about some Discovery Plus television lately? She's getting between- into the bowels of Discovery Plus. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, and that was because you were watching. What were you watching? You said it was Destination Truth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Mama ran across this on TV one day, and she's like, you need to cover this guy. He sounds interesting. And I was like, okay. Um, Anyway, picture it. I'm getting to my story now. Picture it. Memphis, Tennessee, the latter half of the 20th century. Wrestling in Memphis is huge. Oh, yeah,
2: still still is. Memphis wrestling on Saturday mornings. (gasps) My childhood.
0: Look, there's a whole there's a whole season of that show Young Rock that's filming or they filmed in Memphis. Memphis. Yeah, girl, I used to work with was an extra in one of the episodes.
3: Awesome. Yeah, I've I've known several places in town where they were like, oh, we're shut down for filming. Stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, it's it's still big, but it was really big during those years. Wrestling shows sold out Ellis Auditorium in Memphis, and then later the Mid South Coliseum. That's what the Mysteries of the Abandoned episode was really about. Was about the Mid South Coliseum, which that's a story in and of itself that I'm not touching with a ten foot pole. Just know that it is our coliseum. It is, it is, uh, it is closed, and it is. In disrepair, and I'm just not even going to get into it. Anyway, uh, WMC-TV, Action News 5, uh, Mm -hmm. aired a live local wrestling show every Saturday morning. And again, that was huge. Local wrestlers became celebrities, and Memphis became a town where young wrestlers, young in Young-ish. the you know, 80s and yeah. 90s, like The Rock, The Undertaker, and Sting, um, and many others, launched their careers. Books have been written and documentaries have been made about Memphis wrestling. It's a big deal. But today, Cherry the King here. Lawler. <laughs> yeah, as I was telling Mama, one of my favorite billboards in Memphis uh has a picture of him and it says something like product of shelby county schools or something like that
0: <laughs> i don't know if you want to no.
3: brag about that
0: his so fireworks
3: true. commercials were my fucking yeah. favorite um, But today we are here to talk about a heel with a heart of gold, Ooh. a Memphis wrestling legend who fought against the good guys inside the ring and fought Jim Crow laws outside of the ring.
0: Well, yeah, awesome.
3: this is the story of Sputnik Monroe, the okay. best name ever. So, this badass was born Roscoe Monroe Merrick on December 18th, 1928. That makes him a Sagittarius. Uh, he was born in Dodge City, Kansas. Okay. His dad died in an airplane crash a month before he was born. Had airplanes? He was, right yes. Yes. Damn. um apparently not very good ones (laughs) apparently they crashed (laughs) yeah um and he was mostly raised by his grandparents um his mother later remarried a man whose last name was brumball so he adopted roscoe and then his legal name became roscoe monroe brumball um and then roscoe had a brother named gary who and his nickname was jet um <laughs> no names that. are big in this story <laughs> um so roscoe served in the navy in world war ii and when the navy was over he found when the navy was over, <laughs> when the war was over <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna correct you i was like no my dad can to. tell you
2: the Navy's still very much going <laughs> yeah. on yeah
3: Y'all need to correct me because sometimes I listen back to the show and I hear where I, <laughs> I did my dyslexia <laughs> yes. messes up my words and I'm like, dang it! But y'all know what I mean, absolutely. So when the war was over, he found a job wrestling at carnivals. Um, the the fun thing about carnivals is really it's not about wrestling like the art or the technique of wrestling at carnivals. It's about putting on a show, and oh, of course, yeah. it's all rigged. And you are, you're not learning really how to be a wrestler so much as you're learning how to be a showman, how to put on a good show, how to talk the talk, do the big flashy moves. He was very funny and flamboyant. So he became really popular. He used the stage name at the time, Rock Monroe. Some of his other ring names include Elvis Rock Monroe and Pretty Boy Roke, which is one of my favorites. I love it when they call themselves mm-hmm. pretty boy
2: yes. and they look like a human sausage. Yeah,
3: he, th- <laughs> This guy does. Um, I'm about to get into what he looks like in a second. Um, his character was a heel, which in wrestling's ling- lingo means he was the villain. So yeah. he's always fatting the bad guy or the baby face wrestlers yep. or whatever. The I learned a artist. lot. I, I learned a lot of lingo from some of these documentaries and stuff. Um, so basically, he was supposed to fight the bad guy. He was supposed to be the villain. Fight the he good was guy. To, yeah. Yes. Sorry. See, it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I, listen, my riddling was hours ago. Um, he was supposed to fight the good guys. He was supposed to get the crowd riled up and angry. So he would do lots of trash talking. And one of his big sayings was, and and the crowd loved to boo him when he was arrogant and said stuff like this. He said, it's hard to be humble when you're 235 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal with a body that women love and men fear.
2: Like, I live I'm putting that on my stuff. dating profile.
3: <laughs> that is going on my Tinder. It's gold. It's gold. I love that kind of trash talking
2: well the rock like early in his career you know before he's like everybody's bff yeah he he had some heel like qualities where know he would come out on stage and just like trash whatever town he was in and yeah i mean that was just his shtick so i love a good heel
3: yeah and and this guy was a classic heel um he also described himself as a diamond ring and cadillac man so he liked the fancy stuff and he would so he wore oh, rings and all this. Pimpin' ain't easy. Exactly. Now he he looks like this Italian mobster who would like the big silent bouncer who would like kill you for the mob balls or something. That's what he looks like when I see pictures <laughs> of him. Big guy, 6'2". Like I said, he said he was 235 pounds. And that's um, really big for that time he's, period. He's a big guy. He's... I mean, when they say barrel-chested, I mean, he's just a big chunk of a man. But what was really famous was his hairstyle. He had black hair, and he had a streak of white dyed in the front. Now, he said he got hit in the head with a wooden chair, and when the splinters were removed, his hair grew back white. Sure. Hmm, maybe that's true. Maybe <laughs> sure. he dyed it. Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. I'll sure. give it to him. Sure, Jan. Sure, Jan. Yeah, sure, sure, Jan. Um, but I I love that story, so I thought I would include it. But um, but yeah, so he was known for that very distinctive hairstyle, and uh, teenage kids would dye their hair like that and try to emulate love him, which it. I thought was adorable. <laughs> So wrestling, like a lot of entertainment um, in the 20th century, traveled in circuits across the country. So wrestlers would take their shows from one town to the next, doing these tours. And eventually, um, he joined the Southern Wrestling Circuit and began traveling throughout the South. And he landed in Memphis for a while.
2: That's, remember the dude who faked his own death that I covered? Yes. He, he did the
3: same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, so Sputnik, or well, Roscoe Rock, as he was known at the time, was the bad guy. He would fight Billy Wicks, who was the good guy, a baby face. And they were like the main draw in Memphis. So everyone would go to see these two guys battle it out. Um, so anyway, Sputnik or Roscoe, whatever I'm getting to why they call him Sputnik in a little bit, but uh, he was wrestling in this southern circuit during the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s when the civil rights era was a big Ooh. deal in the United States. Uh, growing up in Kansas, he grew up knowing and working with. People of a lot of different races, including black Americans. His father's bakery, well, I mean his stepdad's bakery, employed a black family and they were all very close knit. So he just Yeah. He thought it was ridiculous to treat people differently based on their race. What a concept.
2: And when somebody um, from Kansas is the progressive one.
3: I know. <laughs> um, so as he continued to make a name for himself in wrestling, he was determined to do what he what he basically could do to help black wrestling fans and really everything kind of started as far as that goes in 1957 he was driving through mississippi to a wrestling show in oh, mobile god. alabama god bless when he started getting tired and at some point he so came he across, was a white guy he's a white guy okay yes And he was driving, uh, he came across a black hitchhiker and his name has been lost to history. I can't find that guy's name to save my life. But he runs up on this black hitchhiker at a gas station and he's like, hey, I'll give you like 20 bucks to drive me to my next show. Just let me sleep for a little while. And the guy's like, yeah, great. Love that idea. So they get to the show. He pays the guy and um, he goes into the arena with this black man. And when the crowd sees him walk through the door with a black man, they start to boo him. Ugh. So he puts his arm around the guy. It Mobile gets behavior. I, and I've heard it could have been somewhere else in Alabama. I don't know. I don't care. But it was Alabama. It's Alabama, Alabama behavior. Yeah, it yeah. is 100%. Anyway, so... Um, he puts his arm around the guy that gets that. him even more bo- boos and insults. So he doubled down on his love for his new friend and he kissed the guy on the cheek. Oh, ah, I love it. As you can imagine, that whole arena lost its mind. I mean, the very idea of a white man kissing a black man on the cheek in Alabama in 1957. I wish I could have seen it. Oh, Um, God. So everyone was yelling at him and calling him every name in the book. And a hateful old racist white woman yelled at him from the crowd and called him a Sputnik. And this was her way of calling him a commie because the Russians had just launched the Sputnik satellite. And he was proud to be called a commie, so he decided to go by Sputnik Monroe for the rest of his career.
2: <laughs> I love that. Good for um, him.
3: Yes. He basically, anytime he could stick it to racist folks, he did. Um, so segregated wrestling shows were still the norm. Uh, white fans would sit in floor seats and black fans would sit in the balcony even though they paid the same admission fee right and sputnik knew wrestling promoters were not promoting the shows to black fans because who cares about black fans so he did what he could to uh to promote the uh the shows in black communities in memphis so he began in 1959 going uh, to black bars on Bill Street in Memphis, he wore a purple gown. He carried <laughs> a diamond-tipped cane, <laughs> oh my and God. he hung out in the black-owned bars on Bill Street and other places downtown. He would socialize with the patrons and just hang out with them. He handed out free tickets to the wrestling shows. He just becomes a huge you know, celebrity in the black community in Memphis. And of course, the white cops had to get mad about this. So they so, would arrest him because how dare a white man go hang out Thrones? and dr- oh, I'm getting to it, and okay. drink a beer or whatever <laughs> with black folks. So the charges were literally made up. Like of one course. of the charges was Mopery, M-O-P-E-R-Y, M-O-P-E-R-Y <laughs> which is basically, um, I saw it, defined on some website as a vague minor offense police use when no other legitimate charge seems appropriate imagine yeah so uh he would just say hey i'm hanging out with my friends like that's all i'm doing and of course these cops are like near under arrest so who does he hire the city's top black attorney of course civil rights attorney russell sugarman to represent him in court Um, and a lot of people said, Russell, (laughs) a lot of people said, this was the first time they'd ever seen a white man represented by a black man. And this is his quote. This is Sputnik's quote from the Memphis heat documentary, which is about Memphis wrestling. He said, who had guts enough to come on bill street in 1958, Sputnik Monroe. And I was mad about the way everybody on bill street was treated. I asked Judge Boucher, there must be some kind of communist-inspired deal that I can't go where I want to go. I'm the veteran of a war, and I'm the toughest son of a bitch you ever saw in your life, and I can't go where I want to go. So Attorney Sugarman and I paid the $25 fine and came back to Bill Street so they could do it again so That's yeah but my Tinder profile too God they damn. lost the case they had to pay the $25 fine right. but he turned around and went right, right back to Bill Street so, good for him good for him and by the way Russell Sugarman um is someone I should cover on this podcast he is a legend in Memphis he went on to become a judge uh served in the State House of Representatives um an incredible civil rights activist and attorney he is now buried at Elmwood Cemetery I was about to ask you yeah, know <laughs> No, and uh a friend of mine is giving an African American history tour of Elmwood in June. Please take it if you're in Memphis. You will not be disappointed. The black history at Elmwood is incredible. So anyway, back to Sputnik. So he became a fan favorite in black communities. He was a bona fide star in Memphis wrestling. Uh, you know, some people loved him and then other people loved to hate him. Um, (laughs) uh, one thing I loved was that he, so the shows, they would have these shows in like, there'd be thousands of seats, like floor seats for white folks, and they would be half, half empty when he was going to perform. And then the balcony for the black folks, which was much smaller, would be packed to capacity Mm -hmm. and Sputnik wanting to, you know, show off for his friends would really focus on the fans in the balcony and like. Right. Sort of perform mm-hmm. for them. So he started bribing the ticket takers at the door to oversell the black balcony area. So the auditorium staff was basically forced to desegregate the building to allow <laughs> black, black patrons to sit anywhere. And if they I threw a fit it. about this, Sputnik just refused to perform unless the audience was integrated. So he forced integration. His black fans, as many as 15,000 at a time, sold out the auditorium. Damn. And thanks to his actions, many other Southern sporting events were soon desegregated because they realized the financial benefit. Hell, yeah. you know, like, why are you turning down money? Like, it makes no sense. Um, he was really one of the few white men in Memphis who was sticking up for the black community. And as he once said, he said, I had the power because I'm selling out the place. The first guy that ever did. And da- and they damn sure wanted the revenue. Hell, Yes. And this is one of my favorite quotes ever about this guy. So a friend of his and the manager of his fan club, John Doherty, uh, said, this is a direct quote, when he he came to Memphis, they were averaging 300 people a night at wrestling shows. By the time he started wrestling, 7,000 people were coming out to see him. He could have run for mayor and could have been elected. That's how big he was in this town. I love (laughs) it. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, of course, he did become the most hated man in Memphis for this. Um, he would sometimes get jumped. His house would get egged. Uh, he and his They're wife, jumping that big of a dude? I know. I'm like, you're stupid if you're doing that. <laughs> no because this guy is you're massive. just asking for it. Yeah, basically. I think they did enough to scare him. But right. It took a lot to scare him. Um, He was married in- during this time and he had two kids and his wife actually changed their kid's last name to her maiden name to try to keep them safe because they were getting threats. Smart, yeah. But he kept doing what he was doing and he kept brace basically, uh, Breaking all of these box office records, um, in '59 they set an indoor arena record in Memphis that stood for more than 30 years, with more than thirteen thousand seven hundred and forty-nine in attendance. And think about it, 1959 for the next 30 years—that's beating out yeah. Elvis' numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, this is another one of my favorite parts of this story. <laughs> This guy just cracks me up left, right, and center. So in the 1970s, he met Norvell Austin, a black wrestler, and they teamed up. Norvell dyed his hair white in the front so they would match, (laughs) which I just think is adorable. They were one of the first mixed-race tag teams, and they were both heels. They would hint that Norvell was Sputnik's son. Oh. and they would pour black paint on their white opponents but oh. nick would yell black is beautiful and norvell would yell white is wonderful and this became their catchphrase <laughs> oh my god. god that's and hilarious that makes my life um Now, eventually, Norvell decided to move on and become a solo wrestler. wrestler. He's still alive, and he's 72 from everything I saw online. Good for him. Good for him. Go
0: Norvell! Hell yeah.
3: Um, And then there was a, a great interview with Jimmy Kimball, who was a black wrestler? His uh, ring name was King Cobra, which is a great Ooh. name. He was from Memphis. <laughs> he said um, Sputnik helped him out in his wrestling career and gave him advice and encouragement. And I just thought that was really nice. You know, this was a yeah. guy who wasn't developing just doing... younger
2: talent. Yeah.
3: yeah, and really trying to help black wrestlers get their due. I thought that was nice. And by the time the Mid South Coliseum was built and opened in 1964, it was the first integrated sports arena in the area. Hell yeah! sputnik Monroe retired from wrestling in 1975 he did wrestle one last match in 1988 he continued to make appearances at wrestling reunions and conventions he held a lot of titles during his career and i have a lot of them listed but honestly they mean nothing to me but i'm sure (laughs) they mean something to someone the texas brass knuckles title the texas title the tennessee title and the florida title and he held the southern tag team titles and the world tag team titles with his brother who is not his actual brother rocket monroe in 1967 i'm sure that means something to somebody Mm -hmm. (laughs) um another favorite quote i'm almost done i promise no i Um, love it his friend john doherty who i mentioned earlier who was over his fan club he has this memory of Sputnik. He said we were walking down Bill Street, and a teenage black kid came up to us and said, "Sputnik Monroe." Sputnik answered, "You weren't even born when I was here." The kid said, "My mom's family has a picture of you on the wall." He said they had a picture of John Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Sputnik Monroe, and Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Makes my life. I, I will love say it. this. To talk briefly about his personal life, he was married to a woman named Carrie Bell. She went by Midge. Uh, she was. She sounds like a character in her own right. She was. You a have wrestler. to be to be married to wrestlers. Yeah, you do. They were only married for ten years, but I. I don't. Either way, she was a wrestler herself. She was a oh. hunter. She was a wrestling promoter. She was a rodeo clown and a business owner. I'm <laughs> like damn. Midge go get it um now she recently died she died two years ago in 2021 at the age of 84 um but midge and sputnik had two kids together a son and a daughter one of their kids quentin grew up to be a professional wrestler and he unfortunately passed away last year in 2022 at the age of 61 Mm. Um, but according to his find a grave Elvis was there when he was born, and I guess because Sputnik was famous, Elvis carried Quentin out of the hospital. Okay, and it makes right. sense. Like the timeline works because Elvis would have just gotten back from Germany that spring, and Quentin was born in September. So I'm like, okay, this is some, um, this is so Memphis. It's so Memphis. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, but Quentin's ring names were Bubba Monroe and the Bra- or the Cajun Brawler. I'm sorry, I heard were living of in Bubba Louisiana. Monroe. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, so he spent 25 years on the Southern wrestling circuit, um, but they did do a lot of stuff out of Louisiana. In 2009, he opened up his own wrestling training facility called the Too Bad School of Professional yeah. Wrestling in Louisville, Louisiana. But yeah, like I said, he passed away last year. So bless his heart. I hate to hear that. Now, I did read that Sputnik was married a total of six times. Jesus. And then he had a, a third kid with some other wife. Um, I didn't dig too, too deep into that because I'm like, this is mostly about his wrestling career. But when he died, he was married to a woman named Joanne. So he did leave Joanne behind. And then his. um, Look, Midge is the only one I'm going to accept. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Um, But he did leave three kids behind. But Sputnik Monroe died in his sleep on November third, two thousand six, at seventy-seven. He had been fighting cancer for several years, and he is buried at at Alexandria um, National Cemetery in Pineville, Louisiana. He's got one of those pretty because this is a national cemetery. He's got one of those pretty military stones.
2: Yeah,
3: has his name Roscoe M. Brumball S two u.s. navy world war ii december 18th 1928 november 3rd 2006 sputnik monroe professional wrestler oh. i like that it includes mm-hmm. that he actually shares um the monument with his brother gary who served in vietnam he's buried on the oh Ops. that's really sweet now hbo said they were going to make a movie about his life but i haven't seen an update on that since september 2007 so hbo get on this this sounds Seriously. Like
2: well, and it's so interesting how the old school wrestlers, you know, make it to their seventies, yeah. but like the later
3: wrestlers, steroids,
2: um, yeah. yeah to, to barely make it past 40. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. He, he did get a chance to live a pretty long life and, um, and two that's what I was about to say. He, um, he won, yes, lots of wrestling championships, but he's also been added to a lot of different halls of fame. Uh, He was inducted into the Memphis Wrestling Hall of Fame, the inaugural class of 1994, the WWE Hall of Fame, even though he was never a part of WWE or WWF. Right, class of 2018 and the professional wrestling hall of fame class of 2017 and in 2011 memphis and shelby county declared march 24th to be national sputnik monroe day which coincided with the re- release of the documentary memphis heat the true story of memphis Wrestling. and Rasslin. yes it's spelled <laughs> w-r-a-s-s-l-i-n um i that documentary is available to rent on amazon prime i rented it I enjoyed it um even though I'm not to check it out you should you would love it I would (laughs) because you watched Memphis wrestling growing up totally did yeah it starts with the carnival wrestlers like Sputnik they interview him and then it goes Jerry Lawler is oh my god he's in like every scene oh yeah Um, but so many other ones that I'm like I I know I, I don't, <laughs> didn't tell you anything else but I at least heard your name I've um, definitely I, I seen you in a
2: car dealership commercial on <laughs> 100%, <me. laughs> 100%.
3: Um, but it was really entertaining I enjoyed it and if you like um, anything about wrestling I would think you would like it. if you love Memphis history you'd really love it um, but I did like I said this um, was originally featured in an episode of uh, Mysteries of the Abandoned Hidden America um, but I'm going to leave y'all with Sputnik's personal philosophy, and they, oh god, these I are can't words. Wait. These are words to live by. Win if you can. Lose if you must. Always cheat. And if you have to leave the ring, leave tearing it down.
2: <laughs> I, Go Sputnik! I love it. Love it
3: it is. I was like, I am. Oh my god! I need to get that an icon. On my body. A legend. <laughs> So yeah, um, I've never heard of this guy. My mom's like, Who is this person? He sounds amazing. And I'm like, Mama, just wait. I need to
2: ask dad if he cause, you know, my dad grew I up, bet he, yeah. Basically mm-hmm. in Memphis. And so yeah, I, I guarantee bet he knows that yeah. I guarantee yeah. he has heard of him.
3: Yeah, for sure. Because it was funny too, um later when it was on Channel Five, the Saturday morning wrestling. They brought him back a couple of times for like interviews and stuff, and it was funny yeah. because some some younger wrestler comes out there and like Dave Brown, we all know, know uh, that, yeah, is interviewing Sputnik, and and it's a nice interview, and all of a sudden this other wrestler, I'm gonna come out here and see who this guy's Sputnik Monroe is. I don't, you know, I'm not, yeah, in, I, I, I'm not scared of him. I'm gonna beat his. Well, he didn't say ass, yeah. It was TV, <laughs> but um. But Nick then um, <laughs> jerked him up and said, which I know this is an old phrase, but still, he said something like, I'm going to put something on you that even Ajax won't wash off and yes. you know, it ain't going to be dirty. And I was like, yes. I love that old trash talk. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. Anyway. i love the
2: phrase i'm gonna put something on you i'm like
0: yes i know We're and even a ajax fight.
3: won't wash it off
0: <laughs> like, you yeah. see i i had a teacher in middle school and hers was her her phrase i'm gonna jump on you like a chicken on a june bug oh my god <laughs> i love that one, <laughs> that's Those that's old a good one southern too. science
2: oh yeah the my love dad's it. was white on rice unless. yeah yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: classic uh, yeah all Love right, that. that was fun. That was yeah. so Memphis. Oh god. Yeah, okay. Definitely. All right. Yeah. All right, Larry. Let, Let's
0: get ready. All We're, right. Get the tissues. All right. So, so as I said earlier, this one's this one's deeply personal. So um, it is probably my favorite headstone, um, and not just because it's personal. It's just a. F- fantastic gorgeous gorgeous headstone and I'll get into that later um but let's let's kick this off so I don't remember the exact date but it was probably around May of 1997 it was the last day or not the last day of school but it was the end of the day I was going to try to find my bus and all of a sudden someone grabbed me from behind and I turned around and there was this girl in a black Mossimo t-shirt. Y'all remember Mossimo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, She had dark roots and a blonde ponytail. And I remember this because I had seen her at school before because like it was fourth and fifth grade only. And I thought she was goth <laughs> because of she always wore like that Mossimo t-shirt and had the black roots with the blonde hair. And she goes, hey, do you ride horses? I think I saw you at a horse show last week. And oh. like, I was like, Yeah. Um, and she just kind of looked at me and goes, Oh, I ride too. And took off. And I was like, (laughs) okay, that's, that's strange. And that was the start of a friendship that was very short, but, you know, 23 years later is still a very meaningful part of my life. Um, so this is, uh, my, who I still consider my best friend, the story of Shannon Smith, Um, we became instant best friends within a week of meeting. She spent the night at my house and we spent the entire weekend riding horses. She was, she was like me. This is the first time I'd ever really had a friend that was into horses. Um, the school I went to before we moved to Mississippi, I was made fun of a lot for being the weird horse girl and then having curly hair didn't help. And I was still the weird horse girl, uh, in Mississippi. I mean, my wardrobe in fifth grade was ridiculous. It was horse t-shirts every day. Aww. So, so to find somebody who was just as obsessed with horses as me, that was in the same grade, it was just like, wow, I'm not such an oddball. Um, mm. So she and her, her mom and her brother lived, uh, they had a small house on the same property as her grandparents. And she and her grandfather, Ronald had this barn full of horses and her main horse was named Tara. And I actually would go on to name a horse Tara after, after hers. Aww. Um, and she eventually shifts her focus to a horse that was then called princess. But so, so that summer we spent every second together and I'm sure, you know, If you've had a best friend as a kid, you had something similar. Um, I invited her to show one of my horses um, at our saddle clubs that uh, showed on Thursday night. And so she would come over. Her mom would drop her off Thursday afternoon to give the horses a bath and get ready for the horse show. And then she would just stay at my house through usually like Tuesday, and then we would go to her house Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and then come back and start it all over again. So that entire summer between fifth and sixth grade, we were together pretty much 95% of the time. And, you know, it was the best summer of my life. Again, for most of my life, I struggled to make friends. And she was just as horse crazy as I was and was not afraid to admit it. And we were best friends all throughout high school. Uh, There were moments there where, you know, as as you do, you hate each other for two or three days and then you're best friends again. Um, And sadly, I think the school administration knew we were best friends because we never shared a class together until eighth grade. And that's (laughs) only because, so I've always wanted to be a writer. And so there was a journalism class that basically those were, that was the class that put out the little middle school newspaper. Mm -hmm. And I convinced her to sign up as with, with me in that class because there were, there were only two classes so surely there was, you know, there was a 50-50 shot, we'd wind up in the same one. And we did. So it was the first and only time that we were in the same class together um, mm-hmm. as classmates and fellow writers on the newspaper staff. So... She didn't love to write, but she was a terrible writer when it comes to like journalistic style. All she wanted to do <laughs> was write about horses, so, so which was a complete 180 from when we started middle school, because they, we decided in between fifth and sixth grade that we were going to start middle school and no one was going to know we were horse girls, which <laughs> I don't understand what our our thought process was, because if they knew us in fifth grade, like there wasn't going to be a, a, a shift, <laughs> uh, but it didn't last. So I missed the first two days of sixth grade because I was at a horse show. And <laughs> I love this
3: fifth and sixth grade logic here. <laughs> yes. It's like, we're
0: like, we're going to dress normal. We're not going to talk about horses to anybody but ourselves. And then again, like everyone knew we were horse people. So <laughs> I don't understand why, but and it didn't last because then in seventh grade, she started wearing wranglers and boots, cowboy boots to school every single day with a t-shirt tucked in. That was her wardrobe. Yeah. And so she didn't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> uh, so again, by the time we wound up in that journalism class, all she wanted to do was write about horse horses and kind of going back to that wardrobe. Most of the t-shirts she wore were mine. Um, they were like <laughs> t-shirts I had gotten at barrel races. <laughs> she loved stealing them, but and she had gone through this phase and and it makes me sick because she got, she was always, she had a little baby fat in like sixth grade. And then she went through a growth spurt and got super, super skinny. Mm-hmm. And, and it made me so mad because she like wore double zeros <laughs> and size small and extra small shirts. But then she'd come over to my house and use a half pound of turkey to make a turkey <laughs> sandwich. That, yes. and we, we we called them there's Sh- always
3: that one yes, there's we, always that friend yeah we
0: called them Shannon sandwiches because she would just <laughs> lay into the the turkey and then she never gained a pound she was tiny mm-hmm. so like I couldn't wear any of her clothes but she always was stealing my t-shirts um she was smart she was very smart but she was also a little spacey um especially first thing in the morning which is when we had journalism <laughs> she never knew what was going on in that class i <laughs> i i was named the editor of that period like i was editor and then my co-editor was who did the next day's journalism mm-hmm. class so i was like teacher's pet always knew what was going on um and she even had a keychain because back then i don't know if y'all did this at y'all schools but it was really popular to have keychains on your backpack like oh, a different yeah. sayings mm-hmm. on them. Yep. And hers was this bright orange one. And it said, I smile because I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and it's like that described her to a T. And at the end of the year, our journalism teacher kind of gave out these awards. Cause this was also, I guess you could consider that we were her homeroom mm-hmm. class. Shannon was given the huh award <laughs> She never knew what was going on and she always, her, her first response to anything was like, huh? Huh? <laughs> and then I was given the horse sense award because I was always there to bring her up to speed. Right. What was going that's on? That's
3: adorable. That is it too was. cute.
0: It was. Um, uh, so that was also the year. So that's, this is eighth grade that she had um, really began bonding with the horse princess who she renamed Ladybug um you know she rode and and played with her horses but she never really found her niche, like what she wanted Mm -hmm. to do, you know, that, that summer she showed with me, she was riding my horse. And so she really started focusing on, you know, wanting to find something that was her passion with her horse. Mm -hmm. And she first tried Western pleasure, which is what I did. Very, very boring. And it just, it didn't (laughs) stick. She struggled with it. And she went back to jumping, which is what she was doing when I met her. And that is just, where she landed. Her horse excelled at it. It was something she loved, and I was so so happy that she finally had something mm-hmm. uh that she was good at and she trained that horse herself and she worked so hard for everything. Oh wow. Um and she she joined the West Tennessee Pony Club with a mutual friend of ours named Lindsay, and Lindsay didn't have a horse, but she rode one of Shannon's other horses, Napoleon. So the two of them kind of became really close when it came to being a member of the West Tennessee Pony Club, which is like if, if you want to go to the Olympics or you ride English and you do jumping, you're a pony club member. Awesome. Um, and so that summer after eighth grade, she was planning to go to, there was this big championship pony club meet that was held in Kentucky every year. Um, the, the pony club, West Tennessee pony club went. And I mean, this thing was like, if your horse had a tick in your ear, you got docked points. If your stall wasn't immaculately cleaned, you were docked points. So the week before they were going to go to Kentucky, they had a clinic, um, which every day the kids came and practiced all day in the hot summer. And were Mm -hmm. getting ready for this big pony club meet. And so again, this is the week of uh, June 16th, 2000. And they're at this, this training and a side note here. And it's just, really just kind of a crazy coincidence the barn where they were having the practice and the the president the you know the parent leader of the pony club uh were friends of ours named fran and dana and they we actually when we moved to the memphis area and i first got into horses germantown down stables was where i learned to ride so fran Mm. taught me how to ride and she also happened to be the president of this pony club so it was kind of this weird connection to this place that she was going to. And that entire week I was trying to get a hold of her because little backstory, there was this guy that showed horses with me that she was in love with. Like she just thought he was the hottest thing. And I actually had a crush on him previously. So I got it. You know, I was like, yeah, he's hot. Rob's hot. Um, (laughs) Rob Ramage, if you're listening, you know that our entire girl group was in love with you at one point. Um, he was but, the community
2: crush. Yes.
0: He was so cute. He was so cute. And uh, at, we were at a horse show together because, again, he showed with me. And I actually had like a 15-minute conversation with him. And I was so Ooh. excited to tell Shannon. But every time I called, she was either asleep or out at the barn or at the pony club training. And her mom was like, I'll have her call you back. You know, she's super busy this week. Yeah. Um and so her dad her her parents had gotten married young. They had the two kids, got divorced. So her dad was the one that was carting her back and forth to the the practice. So, you know, her mom was the only one I was able to get in touch with. Okay, so Friday, June 16th is the final day of practice. Um still hadn't gotten a hold of her, but she had mentioned as you know, she was telling me all about this, that she wanted me to go with them to Kentucky. So I was trying to figure out like, Hey, do you still want me to go? I am more than, you know, I will be your, your, yeah your your groom. Um, and I figured, you know, she'll call me this weekend. My mom and I went to the movies that day. We went to see the movie dinosaur. I'm not sure if either one of you know anything about it. Mm -hmm. All I know, remember is DB Sweeney from the cutting edge was the voice of the dinosaur. And it was like, (laughs) it was a Disney movie. But it was made like realistic dinosaurs or something like Hmm. that. It was anyway. So I and we had stopped at Kroger to get my brother a birthday card because it was his 20th birthday. And when we get home, there's an urgent message from Dana who owned or ran Germantown down Staples with his wife, Fran, on the machine. It like I don't remember what he said, but I know it was really urgent. They were trying to get in touch with Shannon's mom. And, you know, this is back I don't yeah, even no think cell had, phones. I don't even right. think yeah, yeah, cell phones were really a thing at this point and so it was all ha- landlines and her mom cleaned houses for a living so it was really hard to get in touch with her if she wasn't right. at the house.
1: Yeah.
0: Um my mom called Dana back and when she got off the phone she told me what happened. Um while crossing the railroad tracks on the driveway of the stable, um, because this was the stable was on a private private property and there's this railroad tracks that run through the city of Germantown and you have to cross them to get to the, the barn and back. Um, as they were pulling out, the truck was hit on the passenger side. Oh. All we knew at the time was that Shannon was hurt but there was nothing, nothing else. Um, so mom began calling everybody she knew in the medical field. We had a friend that was able, who was a nurse who called up at the med, which is, you know, our trauma center in Memphis to try to find out if anybody could tell her anything. And all they knew that there were two young girls there with Brown hair. One was in ICU and the other one hadn't made it. Mm -hmm, And that is all they knew. Uh, So to take my mind off of things, I went down to the barn to let the horses out and, you know, the entire time that youthful naivete or however you say it is like, you don't, you don't, you don't think think the worst. I'm like, okay, how are we going to decorate her hospital room? You know, hopefully this is just, you know, nothing too serious and she'll be able to go to Kentucky because she's looking forward to it. And I got into the house and I remember my mom was like super, super pale. And she said, you know, I need to sit down and talk to you. Mm. And I will never forget the words that came out of her mouth next. It was, honey, Shannon didn't make it. Mm. And that is honestly the last thing I remember for the next several hours. Um, I was just completely out of my mind. You know, this is my best friend. I mean, honestly, I feel like soulmate is a, a strong mm-hmm. word, but I feel like she was, she was my kindred no, spirit, absolutely. my, you know, you didn't see one of us without the other, when it, when it came to, to school times and it just, how could she be gone? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. understand. And it was like, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that. So over the next few days, you know, I had my moments of, of grief and then I'd be okay for a little bit. I thought I was together enough to to go out shopping with my mom. I had to find something to wear to the funeral because I didn't have anything. Less than a mile from the house, Mm -hmm. I burst into tears because my mom and I were listening to um, the Everly brothers and the song, all I have to do is dream came on mm. and Shannon and I love that song. And we sang it together yeah. at lunch every day. And Aww. which led a lot of, lot of people to think we were lesbians.
2: Um, <laughs> they always think that. I'm real yes. I
0: mean, because yes, we were, we were that close. Um, While well, at the mall, I stopped at Claire's. So we had had, Uh, best friend necklaces as you do Um, and Shannon had lost hers a couple of months earlier and we had just never replaced it we just you know we said we would go pick some out and we just never got around to it so I found a new set that was similar to the one we had had and then on the way home we stopped by to check in on our mom and I gave her one half of the necklaces to take Mm -hmm. to the funeral home for Shannon to wear And this was just, it was so hard seeing her mom. So she had a six-month-old baby. She had just gotten remarried um, and had just had this little baby. And then she had Shannon's younger brother, Daniel. And- trying to navigate through shannon's room and just find her things and the bag of clothes she had been wearing which was breeches a yellow polo shirt and the tall jumping boots Mm -hmm. were in a plastic bag in the corner and you could see the bloodstains on them it was very just and just the room was messy because again she was she was going back and forth you know it it was a lot to take in and you know, I, I haven't shared this, but this was my first experience with death. Yeah, I had never lost anybody close to me. I had never even been to a funeral and for this to be your, a person's, and I was 14. Experiencing death at 14, when it's somebody who you love and thought was Mm going to be a part of your life forever, just, it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And the visitation came. And again, I thought I was okay. There were no more tears to cry. I was nervous. I was scared. And then we walked in and I saw her. It was an open casket. Uh -uh. (laughs) Oh No. I don't do open caskets. It was. She was dressed in her show clothes she would have been wearing in. Kentucky so the very nice jacket and I understand I absolutely understand why it was an open casket it just was really hard for me yeah. because she You're didn't not look any- expecting that. well and mm-hmm. she didn't look anything like herself yeah. right yeah. her hair was never not in a ponytail that is mm-hmm. all her hair like had an indention it was always yeah. in a ponytail was down around her face and yeah. she was caked in makeup Yeah, yeah. She was caked and so that going back, so when the truck was hit by the train, Shannon wasn't wearing her seatbelt. Mm. It only hit kind of the front end of the truck. Now, it did a lot of damage, but the other two people in the car survived. So her dad, who was in the driver's side, and then her friend Lindsay had superficial injuries and was oh, released cord. from
2: the Dad. Dad he yeah. was now yeah. he Oof.
0: he was in ICU for for a bit, but he oh, he pulled blessing. through. um she was so so she was ejected from the vehicle. Oh yeah, um Bless the cross so the crossing was at the end of the driveway, so she had been probably just getting comfortable. It was June. Mm-hmm. She had been practicing all day. I'm sure they were turning the air on. Yeah. And not no. no. And not even thinking. We're not even on the road yet. I don't need to buckle up. Yeah. Um, and Fran would later tell me or tell my mom and somehow I heard I can't remember how it went. But by the time cuz the 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 crossing was probably quarter mile at the most from the barn. Mhm and they like that you could see what happened from the barn and she said by the time they got there she was Shannon was gone mm. so it does give me some comfort to know she didn't suffer yeah she most likely sure. um died on impact um but that also explains why um her hair was down and she was right. in makeup yeah yeah and it 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 sucked because you know that was the place i learned to ride but that crossing was super dangerous And because it kind of came around a corner and there were a lot of trees. So if you didn't know what to listen for, because the railroad would make a Yeah. Sound. So most people knew to roll down their window and listen because Mm -hmm. you didn't always see it when it was coming from the corner around the corner if the trees weren't trimmed. Right. So it was
2: such a hazard to just like expect people to like use sonar to listen for a train. Right. Right. Well, and
0: and the, the excuse always was well, it's a private drive we get it. It's a private drive, but there's a lot of people coming in and out because right. it's a riding stable. And right. just a year before a woman had been killed at the exact same crossing, mm. he was coming to see her son's horse. Oh, and it was right. the same thing. Jesus. The train was coming around the corner. The trees hadn't been trimmed. You know, you pull up, you look to the left, it's a straight away and you look to the right and it's too light. Right. Um, and that's, that's what happened. And the train doesn't always blow its horn because that's going through kind of a residential part of Germany. And so I I don't know, I don't think they ever put up a crossing there. Fran and Dana don't, that they went out, moved out and bought their own place. Um, But it was, you know, very sad that that happened twice in in the span of a year and Mm -hmm. nothing was really ever done about it. At her visitation, her mom stopped me and said, Uh, you know I I wasn't able to get the necklace in time but she gave it to me which was really meaningful to me because of all she was going through at that time she still
2: thought of that to remember
0: that necklace
1: yeah
0: um and she asked me if I wanted to put it in the casket with her and I did I, I wrapped it around one of the buttons on her uh jacket and the funeral was beautiful like for that to be my first experience, it was, it was very beautiful. They had to change the venue because they're of the anticipated amount of people that were going to sh- mm. show up. Wow! Um, and as we were leaving to go to the burial, a lady ran up to me and I was like, who is this woman? Who is this woman? Who is this woman? and I was shocked when I realized, so so here's the story about this lady. I can't remember her name. I wish I could. She was so sweet, but so like the year before we were at, Shannon and I were at one of my Saturday night horse shows, and we were going up to watch one of the classes, and we saw this lady standing there, and we started talking to her. She was with her brother, and it turned out the lady was completely deaf, Oh, and, but she was so excited that we were talking to her, and we were, you know, showing at the horse show, so she got out her notepad, and we just Talk to each other through the notes. She would ask me questions and she was just so sweet, so vivacious. And uh, we, I think we gave each other, I think Shannon and I gave her our address. I I don't really remember. I gave her a ribbon that I had won that night, just, you know, it's kind of, hey, here, take this. I'm so glad you got to come to this horse show. She wrote me, she came to this funeral like over a year after meeting us and wrote me the most beautiful note. And Aww. had made a little um, cross with yellow ribbon, Aww. and she gave me one, and then put the other one in Shannon's casket. Aww. Which, again, that open casket, a lot of people were leaving her notes, and just, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um so she gave me a hug and left and I I haven't seen or heard from her since, but that was just so sweet. But that she, her name was yeah. Shannon Smith. I mean, that is a super common name. And for her to right. see the article and connect that that was the Shannon she had met with me was just, just so sweet. Um, and, and so I kept that cross. I have a, uh, a scrapbook uh, that I kept that has all of the pictures. I kept newspaper clippings, which I know is kind of morbid, but you know, whatever and and i have every note shannon ever wrote me oh and i may try to sweet i may try to scan one so you can see like her horrible handwriting and just like her picture (laughs) that she drew me uh but it it, i have all those notes uh somewhere uh shannon was buried in bethel cemetery next to her uncle justin who sadly had been killed when he was eight years old after after he was hit by a car while riding his dirt bike in 19. Oh, man. Yes. Um, and I remember they had a pond at the back of their property, and Shannon and I went swimming in it once, because you're not going to get bit by a snake or get E. coli <laughs> swimming yeah. in a nasty pond when you're 13. Um, <laughs> and she actually told me to be careful because her, her grandfather had thrown the uh, dirt bike in the pond. And you uh, went yeah. down far enough, you could you could feel it. Um, and since then, her her grandfather passed away in 2008 and he is buried right next to her. I actually went out there today to get the pictures of her headstone. Um, so it's sweet that she was buried next to her grandpa mm-hmm. because they really, they were the two that shared the love of horses. Mm. Um, and I sent y'all the pictures earlier today, but again, yeah. this is, you know, of every headstone I've seen, this just taking out of context this is somebody i know and i love just it's gorgeous and beautiful yeah it is Um, it's lovely so the front of the stone has a small picture of shannon sitting on ladybug bareback and i'm including that um in our pictures for this week um as well as her dates she was born september 3rd 1986 side note for half of her friendship, she thought she was born September 1st, 1985. So she always <laughs> thought she was older than me. And when she was picking up a prescription once for herself, we realized that she was born September 3rd of 86. And you so, were
2: both Virgos. Good yes. Lord. <laughs> so,
0: and I was older than her because yeah, she, okay. you know, she was always the older one. And then June 16th, 2000. Mm. Below that is an etching, I guess, or like an artist rendering made from a picture <clears throat> excuse me of shannon that like i rem- i know the exact picture they took it from because it was when her mom got married to her stepdad and then there's jesus behind her with his arms open as if he's like welcoming her to heaven there's Aww. a rainbow behind him and then something i had forgotten about that i noticed today is there is a drawing taken from a picture of shannon and ladybug jumping over the rainbow mm-hmm. no. and this picture was actually so ta- pretty it was actually taken the day she died Aww. there was a photographer there and all she ever wanted was a great picture of ladybug jumping and it is yeah. just these picture perfect position shannon looks good and it's just it's bittersweet that that picture was, mm-hmm. the, yeah. it was the last picture yeah. taken and it's the one she had always wanted And then there's a banner below the etching that reads, Shannon Rides Forever. Oh. And on the back is what really just, the first time I saw this, because it was a couple of years before they were able to get this, the money together to put this headstone up. Back of the headstone features a poem Shannon wrote when we were in eighth grade called Enchanting Dreams. It reads, I often have dreamt a dream, a dream of beautiful horses that fly. I only dream them if I think about them before I sleep. I have wondered why I'm always tired when I awake. It's because I stay up riding all night long in my dreams. So if my boots are dirty, when I put them on, I know I've been riding all night long.
3: Aww, I love that so much. That's sweet. So sweet.
0: And again, I love that so much. All she ever, this was like, I think she wrote this for her poetry unit for English, mm-hmm. because again, if she was going to write something, it was going to be about horses. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I love it. That's
0: and sweet. so below that are the words inspired by lady Ladybug. And then below that, it says written by Shannon Smith. But it is her handwriting. Like Aww. they took it from like one of her papers or something. and It is her signature. And then next to that is a picture of one of her horse drawings. Because <laughs> bless her heart, she was <laughs> not the artist. But she always <laughs> drew horses. And it is Pulled directly from something she drew. There is that etching of a horse. And it's just the most detailed, powerful monument. It's black. I don't know what it's made out of, but it's just, it's gorgeous. And I, again, I stopped at the cemetery today to get pictures. I haven't been there in quite some time. Um, And it stands tall over Mm -hmm. all of these these monuments. And it's right off the road. So anytime I drive past, I see it. And I I think about it. So again, it's going to be 23 years, June 16th, since Shannon died. And, you know, I was only her best friend for four years, but I think about her all the time. Yeah. I mean, my first tattoo was a ladybug and that was gotten specifically for her. My daughter's name is Bonnie Lee. Her middle name is the same as Shannon's spelled exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like I'm I'm doing what I can to keep her memory alive. Mm. I stay in touch with her brother. He just had his first child uh 6 Aww. months ago and he Aww. is like an aerospace engineer for NASA. He's brilliant. Oh, um, you know, I I'm friends with her mom on Facebook, but she's not like I I feel like she maybe is a lurker and I hope she's a lurker because I don't right. have any so, so she sees, you know, that um You know, I still every year on the anniversary, I'll post something on Facebook and it's just, you know, and and as I told y'all earlier today, nobody, I guess, was admin on her find a grave page.
3: Yeah.
0: And I had scanned in all these pictures because uh, gather round children, pictures from the 2000s aren't digital.
2: (laughs) No, they're not.
0: To make them digital, you have to get something called a scanner. Yeah, <laughs> and manually scan the images, and so I wanted to update some of the pictures. So I took over as manager of her find a grave, so I could add those pictures to it. Yeah, and then something that was also interesting, and you know, might be worthwhile for you two ladies, is um, I also signed up to be like a photo taker for DeSoto yeah. County.
3: So, oh, cool.
0: You know, so if somebody be puts in a request, for
3: Oh yeah, requests. no, I I saw
0: him. <laughs> I saw him. I was like, okay, well. You know, maybe on my lunch break, or you know, mm-hmm. if I get out of the house for a minute, I'll go snap a picture for somebody. But I thought that was really cool that they have that where you're able to do that. But yeah, yeah. Oh, so that is a sweet story. Yeah, that is, yep. and and she, we put her picture up at my wedding on the the loved mm-hmm. loved ones lost. Oh uh, yeah, and uh, I actually, so I sat down with my dad the other day to ask him because I was like. I wanted to get his perspective and his mom's, well, especially his, because my dad's sister, who I share a middle name, and I actually share a birthday. Mm -hmm. um, We were both born on September 19th. She was killed the exact same way. Oh, wow. He was coming back. She and her girlfriends had gone camping to celebrate college graduation, and they got cold, and the road ran parallel with the tracks. And then you turn left to go over, and all they figure is that she thought it was the car behind her. Mm. Um yeah. but so my aunt Kelly was killed the same way. So I'm like, what was that like? You know, and he never even connected it. So I was like, that's such a man thing. Yeah. 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 That's just such a man thing. So and yeah. of course, 23 years to him, it's like, I I don't remember. Right. And like, but but to me, I'm like, I remember, but you know, he was, yeah. he was the dad. He wasn't, you know, yeah. as yeah. as involved. But you know, it's it's gorgeous. And I'm I'm glad I was finally able to share this story um because again that she was that once in a lifetime best friend that, absolutely like, knows you're she was my protector um I think one time because curly hair I always went to school and it was soaking wet basically with gel <laughs> in it and somebody said you know your hair's leaking oh my And God. she just about jumped over her backpack to get that person
3: <laughs> and so it.
0: just just knowing that she was my defender and you know yeah, yeah. I, keeping that memory alive is important to me, and I'm glad I'm able Absolutely. to do it. Absolutely, um, you know,
3: every time or every time having known you now for as long as I've known you, which is how many years now?
0: <laughs> I think um, twenty, right? Close that, to that, it. That that Jamie um, uh, photo memory popped up the other day from when we decorated his car. Oh yeah, I know. God, I'm old. old. <laughs> but um, you've talked about her
3: often Mm -hmm. and so beautifully and I've always felt like I sort of knew her Mm -hmm. yeah through what you said about her so I'm glad to know even more about her but I think you do a wonderful job of keeping her memory alive and I love that her name is carried on with Bonnie Oh, absolutely. Um, Because you want to talk about a little firecracker. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Oh, God. She's a monster. The more you talk about Shannon, the more I'm like, oh, I can can see Mm -hmm. some Bonnie in there. Oh,
0: definitely. Definitely. (laughs) And as
2: somebody who made friends by like walking up to somebody saying something random and then just running off. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You feel that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was so crazy. Like, okay. Yeah. But yeah
3: I, I really love this this was your best story ever well thank you and I love yeah, it I, I need your bravery because I'm not I'm not there to talk <laughs> yeah, to anybody no.
0: well we will be ready when you but, are absolutely yeah, absolutely.
3: yeah. And I you mean know, and that's um, the thing
2: too is like mine aren't buried like mine mm-hmm. are right or cremated and still with my mom so
3: mm-hmm. yeah but you know too um a friend of mine in high school passed away in a car accident in which he was not wearing a Mm seatbelt, and he was ejected too. And so I, and that's how my grandma, yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those, um, when someone I love dies of a certain thing, I'm, I will go out of my way to avoid that certain thing for the rest of my life. So like, you know, it, I was just starting to learn how to drive when he died. And so it was like, okay, yes, I'm going to wear my seatbelt every time religiously, mm-hmm. you know? And then when my dad died of COVID, it's like, I'm still masking up three years later. I'm the only person in the store doing it, but whatever, you know? So like, it's one of those things, if you hate to think of it that way, but you just wonder, you know, their death maybe has taught us, you know, how to live our lives yeah. a little safer, mm-hmm. um, it's a lesson for sure, it is, and I hate that that is what it is in a way, but I don't know, I just yeah i'm I'm so glad you did this this week because, yeah, I feel like I know we're even better than I did before mm-hmm. because yeah. every time you've talked about her, it's been with so much love and mm-hmm. You know, just, like, I just have a feeling if she was here with us, like, she'd be laughing along with us. Like, she'd just be one of the girls, you know. And best friends can absolutely be soulmates.
2: Yes, (laughs) they can. Yes. Yes,
3: Yes, they can. Soulmates are not just a romantic thing. Absolutely not. Um,
0: so, yeah, good job. On a completely unrelated note, Sheena, is it thundering at your house? Um, I don't think so, but God, the storm was
3: wild earlier. Yeah, my mom well, so, was like, "Is it raining?" And I'm like, "No." And then I look outside, and my um, what's that thing? It makes music outside in the wind. Chimes. wind chimes. chimes. <laughs> they were going bonkers, and I was like, "Uh, yeah,
0: it's coming a big storm." But um, I don't, I don't know what it's doing. Oh right well, now. so I my my new pod recording in Bonnie's closet is in the back corner <laughs> of the house, and so I've been hearing thunder. And it's like, oh, no. I wonder if my bike picked it up. And then Pickles out barking in the hallway. So, oh no! looks like we're getting another little pop-up shower. Oh, yeah, no. it was so pretty earlier because it was so
3: beautiful and sunshiny, but it was raining so hard. Mm-hmm. And it was so pretty. I'm like, I can handle the rain if the sun is shining. Can that always be the case,
0: please? And then it brought down the temperature just a little bit. Yep. Just enough right. to where I wasn't just dying enough. trying yes. to feed the horses tonight. But, yeah. Hannah, do you want to share what our next topic is?
2: What did we say our next topic is?
3: <laughs> Asian American, <laughs>
2: Native oh, Hawaiian,
3: yes. and Pacific Islander and it was Heritage Mad Month. my fucking
2: idea. Yeah. It Jesus was. Christ. Oh, my God. Yes. So, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Month. We hadn't done one before. Right. Um, like I was telling the girls, I don't know a whole lot about Asian history, so I'm really excited to like dive into it. Yeah, it's um, me too.
0: Me too. It's gonna be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah,
3: hopefully. And, and if any of you out here are are doing any kind of racist hate BS, just know that we hope you step on a Lego, and that's the nicest thing I can say. Um, well, so you shouldn't
0: be listening. So go you yeah, shouldn't be listening, no, true. definitely. But we it's, we it's don't just, need it. It's really weird. I,
3: it seems like I've seen and heard a lot of stuff happening lately and I'm like hey
0: can y'all can y'all can y'all be nice can you just can knock it you? off haven't we been through enough I swear
2: right racist it's,
3: assholes.
2: it's quite enough y'all
3: yeah so that's our next topic um Lou who if people want to find us online where can they find us
0: we're on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com
3: Yes. yes. Um, so yeah, so join us online,
0: leave us a review only if it's Um, five stars. um, Yes, right. I don't want to hear
2: your bad review, I don't care.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it really would make our day if you do that, you know? Yeah, you know, help us with the algorithm. Yes, I know. Geez, y'all, what do we got to do to get a review around here (laughs) anyway? Um,
0: but yeah, thanks for
3: listening, y'all. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.